0: Someone You Should Know, know. a program about people you know, and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, good morning and welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. Very, very glad that you're with us today. We're going to have a very, very interesting conversation. I promise you, you will not regret it. Uh, And we are brought to you by our good friend, Christine Dean, who is the DFW networking diva. She can help you improve, create, uh, just make your website and your marketing presence uh, just absolutely the best that it can be. You can get a free consultation with Christine, and she can either walk you through the steps you need to take to improve your website, or she can outsource the the and, and be your source for creating whatever you need. She's done it for me. She does it for this show. She's a sponsor of the show. She's also the producer of the show. So she is everything for this show. I'd be nothing without Christine Dean. So, thank you very, very much, Christine, and I want to welcome into the show Mark Trainer, who uh, is is a military veteran, uh, the Marine Corps. Semper Fi. Thank you for your Hi. service.
1: Thank you, and yours, Stuart.
0: And it, it's very interesting <laughs> because uh, both Christine, the producer of the show, and uh, and I. Uh, are a part of the DFW uh, Veterans Chamber of Commerce. And another member of that Chamber of Commerce is Christine Walker, who is the uh, the creator of Devil Doc, uh, Doc Publishing and creates a veterans magazine every month called At Ease Magazine. I urge you to check it out. And Christine wrote to me and introduced Mark to me and said, Stuart's got this, this, this radio talk show and Mark is a Marine and has just written a book about, well, we'll discuss about your experiences, but it's a, it's a book based on the Vietnam war. And I think the two of you should get together and here we are, we made it happen. So I welcome you to the program. Thank you.
1: And thanks to Christine for putting us in touch too.
0: Yes. And I'm going to show you on screen and we'll get, we'll show it again during, during the show. Uh, The novel is A Quiet Cadence. The, 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 the cover photo is, is very, very intriguing in itself. Uh, Maybe I should ask you to start off with the, that, that cover photo. Uh, Is that your cover photo or,
1: or from someone that you know? It's actually uh, something that was in the archives at the Naval Institute Press, the publishers of the book, and that's a marine rifle company uh, moving through a rice paddy area in Vietnam. And um, I had actually, uh, a long time into writing the book, had come up with the title of Quiet Cadence for a lot of different reasons, and they started looking for pictures to put on the cover of the book and came up with that one, which I thought was just perfect because of the way the young Marines are displayed in that. And uh, it actually looks like they're kind of moving forward to a cadence in a certain respect out in the bush. So uh, I thought it was a terrific cover. I, I can't take any credit for it, but I liked it a lot. Well, and, and you
0: served in Vietnam. I thank you for that. I am a Vietnam veteran myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were with a rifle company. Uh, and tell us a little bit about your years of service uh, and and uh, how actually, uh, you know, did you come out of high school, whatever, and go into the Marines? What were the circumstances that you became a
1: Marine? Sure. Um, actually, I went to the Naval Academy. Um, and so I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1968. And at that time, they, they allowed about uh, roughly 10% of each class to volunteer to go into the Marine Corps. Um, Today, it's uh, about 25 percent of each class, but back then it was around 10 percent. I was one of the guys that wanted to be a Marine, and um, so uh, I graduated. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant and went to the basic school at Quantico as all new lieutenants do for several months, and then uh, uh, shipped off for Vietnam in January of 69 and uh, was a rifle platoon leader there. so that was kind of uh, that. That was my entry to it. Um, I had wanted to be a marine ever since uh, I was a pretty young man, I guess. And uh, certainly uh, after my first year at the Naval Academy, and then four years later, um, there I was. So uh, that was the way I got there.
0: Are you from a military family? Other members of the
1: uh, the family in the military? I'm not. My dad uh, was an older. Dry land uh, sailor in World War II. I had an uncle that was in the Navy also in World War II. Uh, Beyond that, uh, nobody until I came along. And then uh, I had a brother, have a brother that was a Marine. Um, And one of my sons was uh, a Marine also. But uh, we're the, I guess, a distant, a couple of distant cousins were Marines. In the early fifties, late forties, early fifties, but beyond that, no real connection. I think it's safe
0: to say that that now here we are in twenty twenty two, and all it's probably a little difficult to find any family that doesn't have any anybody in their family that uh, did not serve in the military, uh, because it's just it's going back two three generations. Uh, it was just something, especially World War II, uh, launched a lot of our young young americans into into world war II. um yeah, and also sure. we've all become descendants of, of of them uh absolutely interesting you said you went to vietnam uh in uh, uh january of 69 that's right and yeah. i was a couple months behind you i was there march of 69 to march of 70 okay and I'll, but uh you were you were out in the tough part. You you were out in the in the boonies. Uh, you were you were crawling through the rice paddies and the and the little villas and everything. I was an ammunition officer uh, with the Third Ordnance Battalion, and we were we were the ones supplying the the, the grenades, the bombs, the bullets, and everything that uh, that you and your comrades were using.
1: We were sure glad to have you, Stuart. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, where, and where in uh, Vietnam were you stationed?
0: I was at Long Bin. Okay. Uh, uh, third orange battalion was uh, in long been just outside of Saigon, uh, and outside of the Benoit airport, uh, area. Uh, it was a fairly secure area. Uh, it was almost a little, little bit like stateside duty. However, uh, I was one of the OICs of the, the bunker line. It was our job to protect the, the ammo depot there. And, uh, obviously, uh, the, the, uh, NVA, their whole goal was to drop rockets into that ammo depot and light it up like the 4th of July. So sure. our job basically was to keep moving the ammunition around from, from place to place within the depot, uh, to, to make it as, as secure as possible. And then I did spend, uh, some time working, uh, uh evening overnight in dark conditions, protecting the bunker line from any movement beyond the bunker. So ours ours was a little touchy, uh, but what made ours quite a bit different from yours was uh, the good guys were on this side of the bunker and the bad guys were all over on the other side of the bunker, whereas you had to deal with an with, uh, enemy that may be uh, anywhere within a 360-degree uh, perimeter. Yeah, for sure and so i i ha- i have to share with you that that i was very intrigued with so many aspects of your book a quiet cadence uh being a vietnam veteran of course and and relating to a lot of what you you wrote uh one of the first things that that popped up in in my mind was how close you know you you say that's a it's a book of fiction but how much of the creation of the characters and the circumstances that you were in when you were on patrol actually came from personal experience.
1: Yeah, I guess I'd answer that in a couple different ways. It, the book is clearly a novel. It's clearly fiction, but fiction particularly in the first half um, that's uh, pretty readily based on uh, on fact and experience. Um, the book is is written in two parts. The first half is um, follows a young 19-year-old uh, marine machine gunner on the ground in Vietnam in uh, some really uh, pretty tough combat area. Uh, and um, then the second half follows him for about 10 years after he's home. And the reason I wrote it like that, frankly, is um, I've never seen another novel that had uh not only contained a uh, an extensive um depiction of the of the uh trauma and all of um uh and the and the circumstances of uh intense prolonged ground combat and combine that with the aftermath what i think that our young people uh often experience when they come home um and for years thereafter Uh, And I can get into that a little bit more, I feel kind of strongly about the depiction of post-traumatic stress and all. Um, But to get back to your question, Stuart, um, the first half of the book, none of the characters are based on, you know, any given individual or anything. Uh, But they're, I think, a pretty accurate depiction of what, at least in in my experience, a lot of the enlisted guys were like, now I was an officer, but I wrote the book from the perspective, it's a first-person novel, I wrote it from the perspective of a young 19-year-old Lance Corporal. And uh, the reason I did it was I wanted it to have a little more universal applicability to guys that had fought. Um, As far as the that Based on reality, uh, I would say that a great deal of particularly that first half of the book, the Vietnam section, is based on things either I experienced or um, guys that I was around or knew uh, experienced. So it's, uh, um, it's put together as, as fiction and it's put together to take a storyline through it, of course, as a novel should be, uh, but it's pretty realistic.
0: And, and you write the book. The, the the key character is Marty McClure, and uh, uh, throughout the book and all, you, I, obviously you are writing as the world around him is seen through Marty McClure's eyes, uh, the and the interaction he has with his fellow soldiers. Uh, I will tell tell the audience this: uh, if you are a Vietnam veteran. Uh, I would urge you to read the book. It will, it will draw some memories back. There is no way that you can really get, get around it, but there was a certain healing that I got from reading the book. Uh, Being able to see how prominent those memories and how graphic some of those memories uh, are today as compared to then. Uh, And, you and I both served more than 50 years ago. You just wrote this book. Uh, uh, it, well, it was it was several years in the making, but you just published it two years ago. Right. So obviously, this has been a pot that's been boiling for, for quite some time.
1: Yeah, it has. Uh, I think, you know, you get some perspective as you get away from things, too. And so I think that probably helped. Truth of the matter is, though, that uh, I had um, I had gotten an urge to write and to actually write about Vietnam uh, two or three decades ago, and so um, before this book, A Quiet Cadence, I had written three previous novels, all of which uh, did not get published, and a copy of the manuscript of each of them grows mold in my basement, and uh, clearly on the first one. Uh, mold is probably a kinder treatment for it than it deserves, as I look back on it now. <laughs> uh, the second one wasn't bad, not great. Uh, the third one I thought was actually pretty good, but I couldn't get anybody to take it. And then once uh, years went by and I got the urge to, to sit down and write. And each of the others had been primarily about Vietnam. And on this one... I spent a lot of time thinking about what I really wanted to say instead of just kind of telling my Vietnam or a Vietnam story. And what I found out was what was really important to me was to try and write a book that I thought uh, was truly from a veteran's point of view. And so while you're right, the book is clearly, it's from Marty McClure's point of view. but he is telling the story as a 65-year-old man looking back on things that happened to him when he was 19 and in his 20s. And uh, so I, I hoped that that would bring a bit of um, perspective to all of it. Uh, and it's interesting. The, the, the first part of the book is a, it can be a very tough read because there are some pretty graphic sections in it. But yeah. again, for people that haven't had the experience I think that it's important that they understand what it really is that we ask of our you know, young kids when we send them off to war and what they truly experience. And I attempted to accomplish that there. It's been really neat, really gratifying for me. I have had any number of veterans of our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq get in touch with me and say, hey, Mark, you know, that book's really about us, too. Um, so that, that, that definitely that, that's was that's a,
0: a point that I was going to, to bring up is because uh, for us, um, we were not met with with much kindness when we returned home from, from Vietnam. Uh, but one of the things other than maybe a little bit of bitterness and a different view of our position in the war, what we came home with was a feeling of, at least it's over and God help us. It should never happen again. And then 50 years later, when we got involved in the Iraq and Afghanistan conflict and everything for us, Vietnam veterans, it was like deja vu. I mean, the reports coming from the, from the front lines, uh, some of the the things going on, the fact that it it wasn't sure whether this was going to be a winnable conflict uh, for us. You know, it was how could we allow this to happen again? And all of a sudden, we Vietnam veterans who were kind of scorned were reaching out through our military organizations and and all to these young guys coming back from Afghan and uh, uh, Afghanistan and and uh, and from uh, uh, Iraq and all and saying, guys, we know what you're feeling, and all and and our hands are out to you. And I agree wholeheartedly. If you are an Iraqi or an Afghan uh, uh, veteran and all, this is a pretty good read too. Again, I want to caution those that are watching and listening and all, it's it's very graphic. Uh, in many parts of, of uh, and, and several of the chapters are, are graphic because it, it, it involves, I, I don't think I would use the word mistakes, Mark, uh, it was just, there were circumstances where they were going through the villages, uh, looking for booby traps. And unfortunately they found some, and it took the lives of some of the, the members of the, of, of the unit. Um, uh, and, and that's why I said, how realistic is it? Because I find it real hard to believe that some of the graphic detail that you depict in the book, uh, it could just be something that just came out of your imagination that it had to have been based on, on, on something that you had encountered, uh, which I think for the book's sake is a very,
1: very positive thing. Yeah. From that perspective, Stuart, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the depictions of, uh, some of the booby trap incidents, um, and the carnage that, uh, came with them. Um, a number of those are, are really based on firsthand experience. Um, you know, I I don't think it's a great deal different today than it was 50 some years ago, because if you talk to guys that fought, for example, in Helmand Province in, uh, in Afghanistan, they ran into areas like that one that I worked in that were just laden with booby traps. And so many of their casualties came. It, we call them IEDs today, but they were right. mines and, and uh, underground bombs of one sort or another that uh, that a guy would uh, trigger when you were just out walking on patrol. And um, so that hasn't changed. And I think that that's that's why some of uh, some of the uh, uh, the veterans of our more current wars relate to that. But I think even more than that, they relate maybe not more, but at least equally, I think they also relate to the feelings that so many veterans have when they come home, particularly about a war that you're not sure, or as it turns out, you're definitely sure, you're not gonna win. Um, And yet you've lost friends, you've been through some pretty horrendous stuff. And uh, I think veterans today, as well as us old guys from the Vietnam era, uh, tend to think about that, and um, and I wanted the book wasn't written just for veterans. It was written so that people would understand that, you know, when you look at a guy today that just got home from, or a few years ago got home, years ago got home from Afghanistan or Iraq or something, um, here's what's going on at least inside some of their heads, and it doesn't mean if I can go off on my riff on PTS for a moment. I think we have to draw a real distinction. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so it's not a technical distinction, but I draw a distinction in my own head and I clearly wanted to in this book between post-traumatic stress disorder and post-traumatic stress. I don't think you can send a 19 or 20 or 22 year old young person out to live through what one lives through in the intensity of combat and not have them have some sort of post-traumatic stress afterwards. I don't believe though, in fact, I know that for the overwhelming majority of us, whether it's you and me from our era or guys from the more uh, current eras, it doesn't rise to the level of a disorder. You can still be a a great citizen, a a great family person, because it includes women today too, of course, um you know a productive uh, member of society uh, you pay your taxes you go to your little kids baseball games and uh, um, i think that's what i wanted people to walk away from a book from this book as much as anything and say wow these guys really really went through some tough stuff and i can understand why they tend to think about it or try not to think about it when they get back but it doesn't mean they're crazy. It just means they've got something in there that, uh, you know, to some degree, they're going to live with for the rest of their lives.
0: And I, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that that word disorder, uh, it, that's, that's for the hardcore guys that just never were able to outlive those memories. And it became more of a mental uh, an emotional issue for them. And it just basically ruined their lives. Uh, then it i think could be attributed to being a post traumatic stress disorder uh yet to this day uh, i st- i still have a bit of uh post traumatic stress myself uh for instance uh my wife drops something on the floor and it catches me off guard i jump uh mm. it's I, it's just th- that reaction uh not so much today but i got to tell you going back uh of uh, 10 to 20 years ago, uh, uh, when I was living in South Florida, uh, uh, Huey helicopters were were uh, recommissioned, if you will. A lot of news stations started to use the old Huey helicopters for uh, news coverage on the highways, for accidents and all. And if you if you served in Vietnam, boy you could you could tell the sound of a Huey helicopter if it was 20 miles away. It was just something that the even as faint as it could be, you knew what it was. And then when if it was flying over a uh, uh, an accident on the highway uh, and hovering, um, you just those images. and And that's the part that that I think the second half of the book <coughs> tries to lend itself to is the fact that when we when we got home, we didn't just shut off Vietnam and say, okay, that, that was it. It was another part of my life. Chapter closed, move forward. It was something that all of us had and felt, and we could either recall it if we wanted to, or it got recalled on us, even if we didn't want to, uh, in our thoughts, in our, in our, our sleep, whatever, uh, you talk about, uh, a a recommendation from one of the troops uh, that talks about putting these memories in little boxes and putting the boxes up on a shelf and, and trying to get those boxes higher and higher and higher on the shelf. I assume meaning to try and get it a little bit further from your, 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 your memory uh, as possible, knowing that we can't, it's just, remembering more of the good that came of our association with our our uh, comrades uh, than to remember just the bad parts of the war experience
1: yeah and that's uh, you're absolutely right um, there's a part of there are a couple of different parts of the book too where other veterans talking to Marty suggest that, Okay. yeah, we all put the really tough stuff in boxes and we put it up on shelves to try and keep from having to examine it or rethink it. Or think about it uh, currently, but what you don't want to put up on those shelves are the memories of the guys that you served with, because that's what was really important, not the way that they died or that they were wounded, um, but what was good about them as people. And, uh, and I think that's important to all of us. Well, and that's also a very, very
0: important part of the book uh, is when you are starting, you, I, I say you, when Marty McClure, I, I should say, is trying to reconnect with some of the, the soldiers that he served with. Uh, uh, some of them Some of them uh, uh, he was actually, he was running on the weekends with a, with a a buddy that had lost a leg. Uh, And, and there were several that were, were wounded came back wearing prostheses and all, but they would get together and they would start to talk about some of the interactions between them and their families, always wary of those that didn't come home. Uh, But at that time, uh, it was a public effort to raise the funds to build the Vietnam uh, Memorial in Washington, and Marty fought almost all the guys in, in, in saying, "I won't go. I'm not going." At first, he didn't want to didn't want to donate to it, and everybody else said, "You know, we're not donating it because of the 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 names that are on the wall because they're gone, uh, and all. we're." We're donating because of the these were the guys that we served with, and we're honoring them, not not you know memorializing them. Uh, but Marty fought it. He 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 fought getting involved financially, and he definitely fought uh, to personally visit the wall. And I think that's a very very strong part of the book is is that 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 interaction with with uh, you know those fellows.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, part of uh, what was going on with Marty in the book was that it was, again, part of his entire avoidance mechanism that uh, um, he tried to put uh, his entire service in a box and put that up on a shelf and not look at it. And he couldn't help but do it. And his closest friend, as it turned out, was this this uh, other Marine who had lost a leg, but but still ran with him on weekends. And. um, uh, I know a couple of guys that did that by the way so that's uh that's actually pretty realistic to um, think of these young guys out there uh, running on their prosthesis but um, uh, you know part of it was that Marty just couldn't he didn't want to uh, face the the intense memories of how some of his closest friends died or were terribly wounded Um and on top of that, he couldn't imagine what it would be like to go to the wall in Washington and say 58,000 names looking back on him. And uh, that's part of what the, the second half of the book is wrestling with is where do you stop the avoidance and start the remembrance of what was good? And um, hopefully that's depicted OK for Marty in the book. It, 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 it is.
0: Uh, and as I say, Marty, one by one, he would interact with some of these guys socially or or just uh, a talk with them. And they would say, well, we're, we're going to Washington. How about if we all go together? And and several of them said, yes, we, we want to go for the for the dedication. Uh, and Marty just kept fighting it because he was fighting his own little ghosts and demons. Uh, and and he, he was doing it in the best way that he thought he could. And even his wife, who was very supportive of him trying to to support his comrades and go with them and all. He just he just had that internal fight, which is something I think it's fair to say it's it's that internal fight that all of us who served, no matter what war we were involved in or even if we served in the military at peacetime. It's just that inner conflict that you have, and you're not exactly sure which way which way to go.
1: And the more you talk to
0: people, sometimes the more confused you get.
1: Yeah, and clearly that happens with Marty in the, in the book, and he not only gets more confused because on the one hand, his best friend and his wife are saying, you know, you're, you're really avoiding thinking about what was good about the guys that you were so close with who died um and you're losing something in doing that uh, his wife tells him at some point she thinks he's got a little hole in his heart because he's a he's a great husband he's a wonderful dad he's a really good high school teacher and all but there's something that he just won't open up to other people about won't open up to himself about uh and that's what part of that that is about in in the book there or that part of the book is about and I think that that's, uh, again, it, it. it's not universal, but it's it's pretty realistic. I've given any number of talks at uh, veterans centers and veterans groups, and the book is actually being used in some vet centers um, for the reasons that you were stating earlier. You know, a really? tough read brings back some tough memories. But at the end of the day, the book is about healing. It takes a while to get there, and it takes some pain to get there. Even reading the book, it takes some pain to get there. Yes, um, but people have appreciated that, which has just been wonderful from my perspective. To think that uh, uh, the book can, in fact, help some other people.
0: We're scrolling the email for Mark Trainer uh, on the screen. If you'd like to reach out, send an email to Mark uh, and and uh, uh, ask questions, make comments. Uh, I urge you to read the book and and send a note to him and and tell them how you felt about the book and your experiences in reading in reading the book it's very very important uh, i'm not going to give the end of the book away because it 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 it's a very healing type of an ending uh and that's all i'm going to say say about it uh and I personally have been to the wall several times. I lost some some dear childhood friends there. Not that I served with side by side, but they were they were from the old neighborhood. And uh, uh, you know, one was one was a Marine, uh, raised as an only child uh, by his his mother, uh, and her his mom absolutely worked her her fingers to the bone day and night in order to send him to military school and he went to a military school for high school and then went into the marines and when he was finally assigned to vietnam he lost his life within 30 days of landing in country mm-hmm. uh, and that's a memory that i have and i i visit the wall and i get very emotional about it as do most vietnam veterans who do visit the wall because they probably all know somebody that that from their their hometown that that lost their life in the war. Uh, I will tell you there was a part of the book that really struck home with me, and that is when you, uh, when when Marty McClure leaves country to come back to the world, as it was was referred to, uh, he gets on a plane and he flies back, and in the book, part of his flight back home goes through O'Hare airport in Chicago. And he talks of with his duffel bag, getting on the moving conveyor belt through one of the terminals, uh, that you could stand on. So you don't have to walk and drag, uh, your duffel. And this is also folks back in the days before they put everybody's suitcases on wheels. Uh, he's going down this conveyor belt and he notices that there's three young ladies that are on the opposite conveyor belt coming toward him. And the closer they get to, to, to Marty, uh, who's in his uniform with his duffel bag, the, the more intriguing they become to him. And he happens to notice that all three of them are brawless under their, under their, their blouses and everything. And this is kind of intriguing to him too, about the time that they both come almost abreast of each other on the conveyor belt, the three girls all put up that middle digit, and it was a, a it it was not only a slap in the face to Marty McClure who just realized how much he was he was not respected, uh, but that happened to me. Uh, because I I am from the Chicago area, and I came back through O'Hare Airport wearing my uniform. And as I walked through the airport and everything, I can't even begin to tell you how many sneers there were. And when I got back to my neighborhood, uh, the number of neighbors who, who found out that I had just gotten back from Vietnam no longer talked to me and no longer talked to my family. It, it was and- a terrible disease that we came back to.
1: It really was. That's a good way to put it. I mean, it was just, uh, it was so unfair. I'll I'll come back to that in a second, but I'll digress. Gee, I wonder if there's something about O'Hare, because that scene in the book is actually based on what happened to me when I came back through O'Hare. I had, it was not three girls, it was two. They flipped (laughs) me the bird as I walked through the airport. Um, And this was, you know, 19... uh, 1970, uh, January of 1970, and uh, uh, so they were depicted pretty accurately there. And you know, and it's funny yeah. today. It wasn't particularly funny when it happened, as I recall. Right. Um, but I think you know what we came back to, which is different in large measure, but not totally, from what our young people have come back to in our more recent wars, is really I, I can only describe it as just this stupid conflation of policy with the guy, excuse me, the guys who were on the ground, you know, 19, 20, 25 year olds do not make foreign policy or public policy. They go, they either volunteer or they were drafted and went and served 95% of them very honorably and very well. Um, And then you came home and you got blamed for the political decisions that were made about the war pro or con about it. Um, you know, there were, there were uh, veterans posts that didn't want to have Vietnam veterans in them because they had quote unquote, lost a war. Well, you know, again,
0: You're, you're, old you're, still, you're uh, right. I, uh, there, there were a lot of employers that thought, Oh, you served in Vietnam and, and there was, there was, adequate drug use uh, and alcohol uh, that was a a result of serving in the military. And there were a lot of employers that said, uh, hands off. I don't even want to take a chance because I don't know if at any minute, minute this new hire, that's a, that's a veteran is going to flip out. Uh, And it was, it was tough because we thought we were going to come back to a better society that, and we, we, we were under wraps and undercover. Absolutely. And, for... and
1: so much of somebody that yeah, go 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 ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say I, I'm not somebody that that beats on the on the press, but I defy you to find very many articles, stories, movies, or TV shows from the sixties and seventies that depicted Vietnam veterans as anything except, you know drug crazed loose cannons or baby killers or something. Flat, not true. You know, sure, there were instances of guys doing really bad stuff or guys having drug problems or that kind of thing, but statistics since then have shown that the overwhelming majority of guys that came back um, were, actually had a higher employment rate in their later years than non-veterans did probably because they had a certain added maturity to them. Um, But they came back to a reception that that was just terrible. Um, I gave a talk at a VA center a while back. And I think this is a distinction between what I call post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic stress disorder. And there was one man there about our age um, who clearly had had problems ever since he served in Vietnam. But you kind of wonder about the root cause of them when you talk to this guy, and it turned out when he came home, his father didn't let him live at home because he was ashamed that his son had fought in that war. I mean, think of what that does to a 19-year-old kid. Um, and it's just absurd to think something like that. Uh, so there was altogether too much of that that went on. know. Yeah. And yet today, when you,
0: when you look, there are a lot of us Vietnam veterans who maybe are retired now, but when we went through our, our career paths, we saw a different value in those returning from the military Uh, because the military training was something that we saw maybe as a positive asset to the, to those young people coming out of the service. Uh, And to this day, uh now uh, I think there's a much different picture of those that served in the military as being a, a good risk of uh, uh, in 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 positions of of uh, uh, you know responsibility.
1: Absolutely um you know the military teaches uh, you not only discipline but self-discipline um, confidence and probably in my view, just about beyond anything else resilience if uh, you know you can you can perform the duties and responsibilities that you're supposed to perform when you're in the military um you can do almost anything that you're at least qualified to do uh as a civilian because a lot of stuff isn't going to bother you the way it would folks that haven't had to uh uh, as my, as my son, the former Marine captain puts it, when someone says to him, you ever sleep in uh, frozen mud? And he says, well, of course, why not? You know, um, yeah. doesn't do it today, but he did it once. Uh, yeah. it's the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, wasn't there one of the things, no, I, I'm not. I don't want to give too much of the book away. I want people to read the book because it's, it's a very, very okay. good, good read, a quiet cadence. Uh, by Mark Trainor. Uh The one thing I want to ask you uh, before, before we wrap up uh, and, and, and move on is again, this took many years for you to, to write this book and I'll, how much of the process of writing this book did you see as personal therapy for yourself?
1: You know, I've been asked that on any number of occasions, Stuart, and the the very honest answer to that is that today I don't know because I first I I wrote. Remember, I, I mentioned the uh, the manuscripts growing mold in my basement. Um, right. I wrote the first one uh, in the in the uh, early '80s, and so that was. Um, you know, not much more than a dozen years removed from the war. My guess is, and my wife would tell you, I think, that that was probably a fairly cathartic experience, and particularly when I got into talking about some of the tougher parts of, of uh, what went on uh, out in the bush. Um, I think by the time I actually wrote A Quiet Cadence, which was almost 30 years later, um, It brought back some some memories that I had to wrestle with, but interestingly enough, the second half of the book deals more, not only with Marty wrestling with his own memories, but dealing in a couple instances with uh, uh, one or two uh, families that had lost sons in Vietnam. And I think probably now as a father and a grandfather, writing those parts, were difficult for me, just thinking about the impact on parents of losing a child in a war. Um, and particularly in a war that, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, didn't accomplish a great deal. Um, so those parts for me, actually, uh, those were tough to write. I think I had worked through so much of the Viet, the actual on the ground in Vietnam parts in my head while you know, I had to sit there and think about a couple of the, the scenes very explicitly based on my own experience, and you know, that brought back some memories that kind of glow with red light around them every once in a while. But, right. uh, um, but I think emotionally, thinking about the families of guys that went and were either crippled or killed, uh. That was more difficult for me than writing the Vietnam part of the book, frankly.
0: Well, part part of the, the the memories were based on memories and and fact and 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 history, whereas dealing with returning home was really kind of gazing into the future. Um, the the book is a quiet cadence. The author is Mark Trainer. I, I can't thank you enough, Mark, for, for being with me and sharing your story. Uh, I urge those that are watching this program and listening to the program, please, please do yourself a favor. Get this book, and if you know of, of a veteran that might benefit from from reading this story, pick up a copy. You can go to the website. Uh, you can write to Mark, and I'll get all the information. It's through the uh, Naval Press's uh, where you can get the book, but also through Amazon and other other booksellers. But it was your first effort out, and you got such you got awards for the book. Uh, you got uh, uh, praise from people like General Petraeus, uh, uh, Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, you know, I mean. That's pretty good for, for the other three books that sat in the cellar and this one went to press. rest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've been very fortunate. Uh, um, people like General Mattis, uh, General Petraeus, former chairman of the uh, Joint Chiefs, uh, Admiral yes. Mike Mullen, um, uh, have all been, uh, Admiral Stavridis, who commanded the NATO forces in Afghanistan and all. I've, I've been very fortunate that uh, those folks um read the book and just just loved it and uh they've been very kind in the things that they've said about it and all and um if i could just a, a tiny plug here because i know you have you've scrolled on the screen that it can be gotten at the naval institute press or on amazon just to let anybody who might be interested know that it's available in all the formats it's a an audio book an ebook a hardback and a and a soft uh, paperback so uh you know, if anybody has one preference over another and an interest in reading the book, it's out there.
0: Is there, uh, either a sequel or a, another novel, uh, in the works for Mark Trainer?
1: Not a sequel, but, uh, I'm working on another novel and, um, uh, you know, you have to be a little crazy to sit in a room all day and make up conversations between people that don't really exist <laughs> and then go to the dinner table at night and wonder why they're not there. So, uh, i'm I'm kind of in the middle of the craziness right now, yeah
0: <laughs> well, i I look I look forward to the next novel, and I wish you the very best of luck in uh, in in sharing this novel with with your your family friends and the public. And thank you for, again for taking the time to be to be on the show today.
1: Thanks so much, Stuart. I really appreciate the opportunity. and uh,
0: thanks for your own service. Thank you. Thank you for your service. I always end my show by saying, Be yourself because everyone else is taken. I think Mark knows what I'm talking about. That'll do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know. Go out and make it a great
1: day. Thanks, Stuart.
0: Someone You Should Know.